Welcome back to the AdCast. It is, as we try to define every week, an ill-defined podcast about the study of modern visual culture. I am your host, Renu. I'm, listen, the other time I introduced myself as the Kira Kira Aidoru. That's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But you I'm have to by- go with the, <laughs> you have to go with the bit. Come on. But, you, you have to be our Kira Kira Idol and okay. I'm Chaboy. <laughs> that mean though <laughs> i don't think it matters what that means it's ill-defined like okay, our podcast i'm, I'm an ill-defined idoru and i have my ill-defined boy suit <laughs> yeah that that is actually how i would describe myself <laughs> I, I am an ill-defined boy you just kind of it kind of look at me and it's like a like a blur oh <laughs> that sounds concerning you've seen me in real life you know that this is what it's like but I don't want to have to question my vision every time I look at you and think that I might need, like, glasses. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> Listen, I've, I'm so far along the line of having glasses that it's just, my eyes are just gone. So you're going to bring everyone down to your level? <laughs> yeah. Whenever they look Basically, at you? <laughs> when people look at my face, it'll be like if I looked at someone's face without my glasses on. <laughs> So that's so evil, man. Yeah, I know. it's it's a tough existence. People not knowing your face, but everybody knows the blur boy. <laughs> oh, I'm a no! local legend. I'm a local <laughs> legend like the Mothman. <laughs> All right. Well, this week at stands for Archaic Tale because we are talking about Tale of Princess Kaguya. Just really funny because this is like a, this is a relatable movie. It's a very big mood, you might say. <laughs> it is. I like it a lot. <laughs> so, before we jump into it, what you been up to, boy? Well, for one, friendship ended with Effie Heroes. Now, Grand Blue uh, Fantasy is my best friend. <laughs> Wait, I'm still friends with Effie Heroes. <laughs> That's too bad, Renu. Then we can't be friends. No! <laughs> so, a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. my friend convinced me to start playing Grand Blue Fantasy. Sure. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and it's really obnoxious and obtuse and nothing in it makes sense for the first, like, 20 hours you play it. But okay. then after that, it's just like, oh, I get it. And, and you're, just, <laughs> you're just hooked. And it is now my best friend because I realize now that Grand Blue Fantasy treats me right, whereas Fire Emblem Heroes just kind of expects me to, like, be there for Fire Emblem Heroes. And it's like, I don't have the emotional mm. energy for you, Fire Emblem Heroes. Grand Blue Fantasy will embrace me in a comfortable grind. And oh, I God. will... <laughs> and I will... I will grind my, my <laughs> boss battles every day during my strike time so that I can make my daggers stronger, so that I can make my, my pretty, pretty boyas stronger. Um, no, uh-huh. it, it, for real though, it is, it is a well-designed game Okay. in, in the sense that it's basically as close to a mobile game as you can get with a hardcore 
JRPG battle format. Okay. But it's like obviously broken up into into sections to be uh, like technically it's a mobile game, but actually it's like a browser game. Mm-hmm. So it's more fully featured than a mobile game is. It's been around for uh, four years now. I think they just celebrated their fourth anniversary in March. And there's just so much content to go through. And they're also just really generous with the premium currency. Right. Oh. Like the, So for Golden Week, they were like, here, you know, our our gacha machine. Mm-hmm. Every day you get 10 free pulls on the gacha machine, which guarantees you at least one SR or SSR character. Uh-huh. And how could I go back to Fire Emblem Heroes after that, right? Like, Yeah. Because, sure, Fire Emblem Heroes has its, like, you know, orb system and you can, you know, use it to maximize your percentage on whatever heroes you want but grand right. fantasy is straight up like if you save enough crystals which you can do because you, know, you just do quests and stuff right if you can save enough crystals you can just roll 10 times at a time and at least one of them is guaranteed to be half decent probably uh- <laughs> and then for events they'll just fucking give you rolls every day <laughs> so i got some, like 50 rolls and like a bunch of cool characters okay and I don't even have to worry about spending. I haven't spent a single dime on this. On this. See, that's what uh, I was about game. to ask you. Is that no? I've if, not spent. I've not okay. spent any money. Okay, good. Then I approve. I approve of your new addiction. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am solidly into like the beginnings of the mid game. Okay. Um, I'm I'm ranked something like 57, 50, which is like just taking baby steps into the into the mid game. Okay. Um, fumbling around with my my terrible weapon grid, full of <laughs> knives. I have, I have a lot knives. of. I have a lot. <laughs> it's re- it's it's weird. The battle, the like actual power system is very bizarre and obtuse. But okay, I, okay, you eventually wrap your head around it. Okay. No, it's it's good. There's a lot of depth to it. Mm-hmm. It's filling my my RPG itch, and at the same time, it's like filling the kind of mobile game void in my life void <laughs> after your addiction with fire emblem <laughs> i say void because it just filled my heart and more <laughs> it just replaced no, um, your old heart with the new heart right like there's like a void in my heart that's always like i need something you know casual to do when i have like a little bit of off time here and there and that's grand blue fantasy and okay. then also if i like want to delve into hardcore rpg i can also just play grand blue fantasy more no but on top of that like <laughs> it really shows that this game has a lot of, at the very least, you know, in terms of, of writing. Okay. I don't know about balance. I'm sure it's vaguely balanced. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, whatever. Mobile games are like that. No, it's, it's, uh, the story is actually really good. Like, the writing oh. is good. Mm-hmm. Aside from the kind of, like, side quests that are only there purely for the sake of getting you more crystals, which uh-huh. is what you, what you use to roll. You know, it's just uh-huh. like orbs. The actual main storyline is pretty good. It's like pretty compelling. You have to get a little bit into it before you you kind of get attached to the characters and you start caring. But I played through one of the events that they had is is an event called What Makes the Sky Blue, okay. which is what they did for their third anniversary. And it's like eight chapters long or something, eight or nine chapters long. And each chapter is like four parts, four oh. distinct parts. So it's like 36 distinct episodes or whatever of Anyway, it's a continuing narrative, and it feels like, and this this is not like a term that I like to like to kind of swing around lightly, but it feels mm. very cinematic. Mm. A cinematic mobile game? 
Yeah, so it felt like I was watching an animated movie, except there was only text and, like, character models on the screen. Oh, so interesting. It, felt like it was a visual novel, but with the impact and, and the emotional satisfaction of a, uh, of a movie. I actually oh. felt quite emotional by the end of it. I was like, wow, oh. damn. Oh, Damn. so you're going to make me download it. No! <laughs> Ryan, I love you, story! I... <laughs> no! You should, at least for the story, but at the same time, I just can't... It's not something I can recommend lightly, because it's such a... It's a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, it's... You really have to just, like go for it i mean you can play casually and mm. not like care about any of this stuff and mm. just like do events and stuff because events are not that hard actually okay they tend to be pretty pretty easy um you don't they're not like difficulty gated at all sure but yeah it would be a lot easier if you kind of min maxed at least in the beginning um to get some of the some of the stuff you need to to progress i guess like mm. i i was lucky in that it did not take me very long to um, re-roll into good characters. So did you uh, like uninstall, reinstall until you got good ones? Well, it's a, see, it's a browser game, so you don't have to do that. Oh. So it's a browser game, so you can just use your email. And if you're using Gmail, it turns out Gmail, you can actually just like hash your Gmail, which basically means you can add plus one, plus two, plus three, and they'll be treated as separate instances of emails. Oh. But they'll all go to that email account. So oh. I only I only had to reroll six times and I eventually got like a handful of okay characters. And oh. I started going. I built water first is is my first element. Because that's generally what you want to do. You want to build an element. Um I'm or I'm building water right now, and I was blessed with like four or five S tier like water characters. So that's why I went that way. Mm-hmm. It's really good. The story is great. And if you need something like if you need any kind of like normalcy or a constant in your life, Grand Blue Fantasy will be there every day. They'll just be like, all right, come back, come back into the grind. Do your Magnus, do your do your dailies. And <laughs> then you'll be like, normalcy? yes, sir. This is a routine, I think. Rather no, than yeah, normalcy. It, it's a routine. Listen. <laughs> People people have this sometimes where they're just like they fall into their routine and then if they don't have any kind of routine they'd feel uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, no, I get that. Um, like I I'm I get upset when I'm just like whoa I I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Grand Blue Fantasy, I recommend it if you're into mobile games, you want something a little bit more challenging, and you're ready f to put like a billion hours into something. Uh, I have another question, uh, yeah, which up. is, is it based on any, like, like, cause Fire Emblem Heroes is obviously based on the Fire Emblem franchise. Is Grand mm -hmm. Blue Fantasy like that? Or is it, is it its own Gra thing? Grand Blue Fantasy is its own IP, but it's made by Psy Games, who make a bunch of mobile games in Japan. Okay. Uh, they do Rage of Bahamut. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think, I think the Shadowverse is what it's mm -hmm. called. Um, yeah, Shadowverse, which is a collectible card game published by Psy Games. And a lot of the, there is a lot of crossover, I will say. Um, okay. Some, some of the characters from Shadowverse or Bahamut come into 
Granblue. Uh, Granblue mm-hmm. also, okay, and this is the reason I started playing Granblue Fantasy. It has collabs. <laughs> they oh. recently wrapped up a Detective Conan collab. No! <laughs> but wait, 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 wait. Get this. In June, they will have a Persona 5 collab. <laughs> Yes. Oh no. If you do start, uh, it would be easiest to start in a time when uh, I guess you don't spend money on mobile games, so it's like only vaguely applicable. But if you start during a a special event, actually, if you started now, you'd start during a flash gala, which is a good which is a good thing to start during, okay. um, because it doubles the SSR rate. Yeah. And it has limited, like limited edition characters. Basically, they only come around with flash galas. Um, oh. I'm currently saving up crystals so I can attempt. It sounds to... a little bit like Puzzle and Dragons, but with way more plot and things going on. Yeah, it's it's like if Puzzle and Dragons had a plot and was a yeah. JRPG. Yeah, and felt meaningful and contextualized. I, I dig that because I liked the mechanics of Puzzle and Dragons or whatever, but not there wasn't anything else to it. Yeah. There, it it definitely has that JRPG. Not not okay, not JRPG. Um, it has because it's a turn-based RPG, but it has that Japanese mobile game feel where it does feel to some extent like premium. I guess like it feels like there's a lot of content there because in Grand Blue Fantasy there is a lot of content and you will never be gated out of like any of it. You will go as long as you physically can because they don't really stop giving you um like potions for like stamina i mean this to be fair i have this in fire emblem heroes too i have like 800 stamina potions and just know where to use them yeah um, yeah exactly no, i have no reason to i'm just like right. okay i spent all my stamina i guess i'm done for now whatever right um but in grand blue fantasy uh your your stamina runs up pretty quickly because a lot of the a lot of the raids and and quests are pretty stamina intensive but they give you so many items that it's like to refill them and there's so many ways to get items to refill your stamina that it's irrelevant Mm -hmm. i have not once in like weeks of playing hours at a time been locked out of content because i didn't have enough stamina oh good wow um plus every time you level up it overfills you to stamina so oh uh if if you're doing the first like 20 or so levels which are like you know because Obviously, they're like really fast. They go by really quickly. You'll mm-hmm. have like three hundred stamina, and quests only cost like five or ten. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I I mean I burnt all of it on on raids, so I'm working <laughs> out. But yeah, okay. no, it's it's really fun. Also, there's raids oh. and like a lot of player to player interaction. Surprisingly, oh. for a turn based RPG game. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm enjoying it a lot. Nice. And wh- whether or not you will enjoy it, I think comes down to how much you want to invest time-wise or money-wise into it, and how much your how much patience you have essentially, or how much you're, you're invested in the game. Right. Which obviously, you won't know until you start playing. Right. Yeah. Because I I feel like my investment in Fire Emblem Heroes is purely you know to collect the babes. Do you mind? My yeah. my interest has totally capped because like I haven't been doing anything. I haven't even been collecting my daily orbs. So it's like I don't have enough orbs for anything. I rolled like <laughs> once on the bridal banner and I didn't get anybody. And I really? Was like, okay. I got a Ninian. <laughs> oh, I love the art for Ninian. I know. Actually, that's why that I, she was the one I wanted the most. I was like, I like Tharja and everything, but Ninian's art is really, really good. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I was also just like burned because, you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need Fire Emblem Heroes anymore. Like, <laughs> the craze has ended for you. <laughs> I did my time. Now yeah. I want to play a real Fire Emblem game. Well, okay, yeah. here's the problem with Fire Emblem Heroes, right? Fire Emblem Heroes is a young mobile game, so there's not a lot of content to do in it. And at the right. same time, there's a lot of kind of filler content that you can spend your time on. Right. But at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere or you're doing same. anything. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, in Grand Blue Fantasy, because... Even the story itself stretches on for like a hundred some chapters. Uh-huh. It's it's like it's like if reading manga in- required more button clicks. Oh, okay. Right. It it does actually feel structured very much like a like a a decently written manga. Um, and there are parts where um, I I think the part like the writing gets better is is the thing. That's why what makes the sky blue is so good because it has. All of the dramatic kind of peaks and um, the like, the ra- the raising of the tension mm-hmm. that a movie has, especially an animated movie, where it's like, oh, because okay, you know that thing in animated movies or movies, uh, side movies of like content of like main content, right? Where in the beginning, it, like something is happening, it's like kind of slice of lifey. All of the people are like split up doing whatever, right? Okay. And then some shit goes down, so your party gets together, and you're like, oh, let's investigate this. And then at the at the climax end of the movie, um, all of your friends that you've been helping along the way on your journey come, and they're like, we'll help you fend off these <laughs> enemies. And yeah. you're like, my heart is swelling with joy and pride right now. <laughs> yeah. I have a ton of praise for Grand Blue Fantasy. We've been talking about it for like 10 minutes. I know. I was going to say, right after you were done with your, you know, enthusiasm, I was going to try and redirect us back to our topic at hand, Princess Kaguya. Wait, okay, wait, before that, what what have you been up to? Oh, oh my gosh, I have a cheesy cakey update. Oh my god, do you? (laughs) Yeah, so also, like, like special shout-outs to Lee Hama, who, like, texted us, or tweeted us back about our podcast about gourmet hounds <laughs> about and our like cheesecake yes. adventure she yes. gave you cheesecake power yes she did she wished me good luck and i was like yes i feel it thank you <laughs> i do this for I you i do these so i abandoned the rice cooker recipe <laughs> to uh-huh. try out another one i might try the uh-huh. rice cooker one again later but i uh-huh. wanted to try like the oven <laughs> recipe this time and this one I tried it because in the title it said no fail. <laughs> no fail. There's no possible way you could fail this recipe. Yeah. yeah, and I believed in it too, and so I I made it. And I liked this recipe because it broke it down in ways that I could understand because it's like, dude, you're thinking about it way too much. It's basically a sponge cake with, you know, cream cheese, cheese and, and everything yeah. right and so i was like okay okay i can i can get that and so like i was really careful with how i mixed everything you know mix it thoroughly so that there wasn't any like chunks or whatever um and yeah so it turned out uh and it was kind of kind of lumpy on the top because i didn't do the whole smoothing thing that you're supposed to do to make it all nice and beautiful on the top uh mm-hmm. but the flavor and the texture were just so freaking spot on. It was so creamy and so soft, and it had like that nice golden brown on the top. Uh, the only problem is that it wasn't jiggly because it wasn't tall enough, right? Because it, it floated up or it, it rose up, and then, you know, it's supposed to sink back down a little. 
but mm-hmm. it just sunk back down to like normal cake size. So it was basically like a sponge cake, but with a nice fluffy cheesecake texture to it. Uh, I think next time I'm going to try and, and mix it more and try and fluff it up like super a lot <laughs> and yeah. hopefully get it tall enough so that it does the jiggle soup. <laughs> I think, um, did you, did you, did you sieve it? Like, did you pass it through a, a strainer? I didn't do that. Yeah. I should have done that. I recommend as well. trying that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't have a strainer, which is why I skipped that. You don't have a strainer? I have one for like vegetables, but like not for something like this, right? That I don't have like a fine strainer. Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. you should pick one up, if, especially if you're gonna do baking. Come on. Listen, I left it at home. Home. <laughs> I don't have well, one in my apartment. That's unfortunate. <laughs> you should consider yeah. picking one up. Yeah, they're cheap, so I can just get one. I only have one question for you. Yeah. What's my fucking picture. <laughs> Uh, you promised me a picture. Uh, I, I I ate the cheesecake. <laughs> I know you ate the cheesecake. Where was my picture of the cheesecake? Okay, you promised. You know I I have. I I don't want to take a picture of it till I'm like I I get a really good one. <laughs> no, we want progress pictures. No, I definitely could not take a picture of the first one. I was so ashamed. <laughs> I tossed it in the trash immediately. <laughs> Listen, we need progress pictures like some kind of cheesecake uh, yearbook. So it's like, <laughs> be careful who you call ugly in middle school. <laughs> well, I could take a picture of this one. There's still one slice left, so I can take a picture. Take a take a picture of that. Okay. Don't forget before okay. you eat it. I probably will eat it tonight. <laughs> then then don't forget. Write yourself a note or something. Just okay. I need you need to take that picture. I want okay. it. I want it. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I hope that I'm making progress. It was edible <laughs> this time. Bless. It's good. It's, you're gonna get sick of cheesecake at this rate. I know. I'm, I think I'm gonna take a break. <laughs> well, <laughs> thankfully, I'll have I have amazement this weekend, and so then I won't be able to make any kind of cheesecake or whatever, right? Because mm-hmm. I'll be at amazement, and then maybe the week after I can make some more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just do it up. Do it up. Well. Yeah, I, I hope that your your cheesecake ventures go good. <laughs> I hope that one day you'll have a perfect cheesecake, son. I want a perfect, fluffy Japanese cheesecake that I can call my own. <laughs> we're we're going to name him Jeffrey. That's not a Japanese name, but okay. <laughs> Jehori. Jehori. <laughs> Jehori. <laughs> I don't know what's what's the what's the Japanese equivalent of Jeffrey. You tell Is me. It, I don't I don't think Japanese names tend to. I don't you know. I don't have anything. I don't, I'm I'm sorry to disappoint. I have nothing. Let's talk about the tale of Princess Kaguya. <laughs> Jeffrey. Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, tale of Princess Kaguya. So the Tale of Princess Kaguya is a Ghibli movie that is not directed by our our main man Miyazaki. Uh it's it was directed by Isao Takahara, who was the co-founder of Studio Ghibli, who unfortunately passed away in April of 2018, which is this year. Um which yeah, is why we're talking about one. it because uh that's a big fucking deal. Um, yeah. So if you are not familiar Isao Takahara was basically the other big name at Ghibli mm-hmm. and was the director of Pompoko and Grave of the Fireflies. So obviously you know that this movie will hit you in all of the feelings places because all of all of uh, Takahata's movies do. Yeah. Oh my God. 
Grave of the Fireflies like was like traumatizingly good. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so the Tale of Princess Kaguya is uh, based on an old Japanese folk tale called the Tale of the Bamboo Cutter. And it's basically just about this old bamboo cutter who um, finds a little baby in a bamboo shoot. It's kind of like a Cabbage Patch Kid, except way, way less terrifying. (laughs) I feel like Cabbage Patch Kids were before our time, and yet we still know about them. (laughs) Well, here's here's the thing, Renu, is that certain relics of a bygone age... Still instill in us today the yeah. horrors that they wrought in the past. Yeah. For instance, Cabbage Patch Kids and their soulless eyes. Yeah. Troll dolls and their yeah, soulless I was, eyes I was and in crazy the troll hair. doll era and the, the Furby era. Furbies <laughs> with their soulless eyes. And I'm sensing a trend here. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm getting at is you should replace all of these creepy-ass doll eyes with anime ugu eyes. And if you do... <laughs> At least it will be funny to look at. <laughs> so uh, you you would never keep a doll display in your house, but you would keep like anime doll display. Right, exactly. People people except for weirdos don't keep cabbage patch kids or troll dolls collected in their house. But only mild weirdos keep lots of anime figurines in their house. <laughs> Some grandfather or grandmother and their children are very upset with you right now. <laughs> Listen, I would be I would be grateful to receive a collection of hand-me-down anime goods. Mm-hmm. That's all I have for that bit. I don't have anything else. But um, you would probably burn a box of cabbage patch kits. <laughs> I, I would at the very least resell them. I'm sure I could get a good sale price. Yeah. If especially if I tacked on the word haunted, oh heck yeah. Oh my god. Be like haunted cabbage patch kids. People would be like, that sounds legit as heck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like people love that stuff. Uh, sure. Whatever. Okay. So Let's talk about the original tale because I think that that's <laughs> kind of important. Derailed because I made a joke about cabbage patch kids and we had to follow uh, up on it to explore <laughs> the implications of cabbage patch kids upon yeah. our culture. Yeah, it is. It is modern visual culture. <laughs> cabbage patch kids are visual. <laughs> I mean, they are visual. You look at them with your eyeballs, and you have to exist in the same physical realm as them, which kind of makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. Oh my god. So let's talk about the tale of Princess Kaguya in the original tale of the bamboo cutter. Yeah. It is about a a old man who, you know, does finds a little baby. He takes it back and they raise the baby and they keep they keep finding these like cool bamboo shoots that shoot out money and clothes for uh little baby little baby Kaguya here. Eventually she becomes a princess and uh, a bunch of suitors come and they're just like, please, Princess Kaguya. Or I don't think she becomes a princess in the original tale, actually. I think people just hear about how beautiful she is. Uh, and so five suitors come and they're just like, please, let me marry you. You're so pretty. And she's just like, well, if you want to marry me, then you must get the, the jeweled branch of Horai, which is like a floating sky island that doesn't exist. And she gives them these impossible tasks, and they all fail, and one of them dies. Uh, and in, and then she falls in love with the emperor, but then she Wait, has to. I what? I from the version that I read, she ne- they never fell in love. the The emperor fell in love with her, and she respected him enough to like 
be kind to him and answer his letters, but she never mm. it never explicitly says that she falls in love with him. But at least the version that I read, the translation or whatever yeah, that I read. So. The, the versions that I read uh, tend tend to go in that direction. Um, okay. Because she gives him uh, a letter, and inside the letter is is the elixir of life, and right. then she has to go back to the moon because she's from the moon. Um, right. And then he climbs the mountain closest to heaven and burns the letter because he doesn't want to live forever without her. And yes. then the name of the mountain is then is then named after the elixir of immortality. Thus, Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji. Um, so the actual historical implications of this are that uh, Mount Fuji was an active volcano, which is, you know, that's obviously the tale is used to explain why the mountain is smoking. Mm-hmm. It's weird otherwise. But yeah, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about that and, and how yeah. that differs in the movie. Yeah. So the movie basically retells the whole, you know, the fairy tale, obviously. Uh, I think it's interesting because it spends basically the first half of the movie uh, telling a lot of the details that the actual tale leaves out, which is like how Kaguya grows up um, with with their uh, adoptive parents. Um, and then and then in the second half, it switches over to what the bulk of the tale does in the original, which is uh, talks about the suitors and their quests to find and, and marry Princess Kaguya. I love the guy that just dies because he falls into a pot wrong. <laughs> I think I don't remember how it is in I think in the original he he you know he had that really fancy apparatus to get up to the the, the nest, but then because he just falls off he he like breaks his spine. But they don't actually say he falls into a pot. But in the movie he does, and it's funny. But then you find out that he's dead. Yeah, then he's dead, and you're like, oh, no. And he was the youngest one, too. It was like, oh, oh no. And he had freckles, and he was just a kid. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot of, like, little differences Yeah. in in the uh, in the movie and in the original tale. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one probably is just that at the end, she, well, she becomes a princess, and then she completely rebukes the emperor like entirely right he's just not a, he's a non-factor yeah yeah she doesn't even she basically didn't she wasn't as kind to him as in the original tale where she does refuse him because she says like dude i can't marry you i got to go back to the moon or i'm going to leave soon and in the movie uh they changed that dynamic entirely which i i actually like the way that they changed it in a I, in, I a, in a sense yeah uh, because it kind of like it, it in the movie they explain or at least like give like gent like kind of like hint at stuff as to why the moon people come back and sweep Kaguya back up and why she was sent there in the first place because the original tale doesn't go into that at all. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that thing that we were talking about uh-huh. just now uh-huh. about <laughs> the ending for the for Kaguya and the Emperor. Yeah. Where instead of kind of this, this like maybe romance, maybe, you know, courtesy letter returning, uh-huh. um, she rebukes him entirely because he's yeah. creepy. And because he's got a big he freaking chin. like ran up in her room and grabbed her and like held her. Yeah. And then she rightfully went, nope. Yeah. She noped right out of that. I was like, this fool just invaded her personal space. She ain't never been held by a man before. And he runs up in there because he's the emperor and he's like, no woman has ever said that they didn't like this. 
I I love it because if you look at him, he's like just on the edge of like a parody character for like a Bishonin. Like he's got the chin that's like he's got the Dorito face. He has the Dorito face. (laughs) Decidedly pointy. I really liked how they drew him. But not enough to be like too much. I think they they found the line and they kept to it, and it's so good. Yes, it's so good. And they drew his little lips, and yeah, (laughs) they they drew like his face was the Dorito, but slender and curved, right? So you know he's a refined Dorito. But then his clothes are like gaudy and gold, and then they have that giant bulky shape to it. So it's like you know that this guy is like rich beyond your wildest dreams, and like the way that they did the design is so good. He he's dressed like an emperor. He's dressed like an emperor. <laughs> he also looks like one with his Dorito face. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, no, I I think that in in a lot of ways, um, the decision to change that is is a thematic one, and I think yeah. it's in line very much with the way that uh, Ghibli operates. You know, there's, yeah. There's a really famous quote from Hayao Miyazaki that everybody quotes like every two seconds, which is not the one where he's just like anime was a mistake, which is yeah. a misattributed quote anyway. Yeah. Anime was a mistake, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> uh, your wife who sucks, Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The one where he's just like, you know, I, I don't like this unwritten rule that because there's there's a man and a woman in, in a movie together, they have to, you know, kiss or whatever, or be romantically right. involved. Like, I think there's other ways of getting at, at you know, love, right? And right. I, I think that's kind of what it is, right? Like, in a lot of ways, because we're we're moving away from the emperor, like, the emperor becomes a non-factor. He doesn't matter at all. Right. Beyond, like, activating her moon powers, I guess. Right. The story then becomes one that's very heavily about familial love and about the forms that it takes, and I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty important. Yeah, I love that they emphasize that, like, the movie was all about basically exploring Princess Kaguya as a person rather than, like, a a folktale figure. Right, like a a mythical figure. Right. There's a lot of, like characterization and humanize, like humanizing work done. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think to great effect, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because she, she starts off, you know, she's the daughter, adopted daughter of these this poor old couple, and so she grows up like a, like a country girl, you know? And she plays with all the neighborhood kids, and there's a lot of really beautiful shots of them just playing out in, in the fields and the flowers and the farmland. Uh, and then she suddenly gets thrust into this world of, you know, nobility and wealth because her parents, they think that what's best for her is to raise her like an actual princess, right? They think that that's what the gods want after having bestowed them this god-like girl. I mean, uh, they, they gave them a pot of money. <laughs> like, yeah, they gave them bamboos of, of money and clothes and this girl who was you know in their eyes like like a goddess right and and so they decide you know the proper thing to do would be to raise her like an actual princess instead of raising her like you know she'll i think the father said like she'll only be like a you know a farmer girl or a country girl if she grows up here so we have to take her to the capital and raise her proper right uh and and she because she's forced into these circumstances she doesn't want to disappoint her parents because later on they put it into words, but basically they've given up everything and they've devoted everything for her happiness, right? And she feels a responsibility to uh, provide for them by being a good daughter. It's, it's, it's a story about obligation to one's parents right. versus freedom, which, listen, we both grew up in Asian families. 
I'm sure this is very <laughs> relatable. It's super relatable. It's like on, on one hand, yeah. you know, I do not wish to be bound by any kind of limiting factor in my life. Like, I don't want to become a lawyer, right? It's just like, I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> I don't want to do those things. But at the yeah. same time, in a, in a certain sense, it feels like if you're not, you're kind of rebuking your parents' efforts, and that sucks. Yeah, I, I was on the doctor track, so, you know, <laughs> you know, I followed that for a while. Yeah, but you ended um, up in, like, doc, doctor animation. Doctor animation. Yeah, now you. I'm in doctor animation, so it's fine. <laughs> like, it's I fine. found a happy you medium got eventually. Me. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's super relatable. I am going to end up in literate homelessness. My God, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll be okay yeah no <laughs> it, it is it is a big deal and okay yeah. let's like let's not ignore historical context here right like japan is a very confucian society yes. that's a big deal yes absolutely whatever we're feeling is way amplified for an east asian audience yes this, this is a huge deal to us we can find it relatable we can we can say like Oh, I I know what that feeling is like. One's obligation, one's parents. But there it's like law, right? Like right, that is right. not something that you go against. Right. Like what we feel now is like a, such a sub derivative of that. It's like not even. <laughs> and I, I do think that the movie does go to great lengths to kind of problematize that that mentality of, yeah. of obligation. Yeah. And And to say like, you know, at the end of the day, right, like what matters the most is that is that you is that you're happy right that your parent it's not that you're having your parents conception of happiness but yours right and uh and then you get whisked away to the moon yeah yeah exactly and i think that's so that's such a hard-hitting message because at the end she she is loyal to her parents she, and she gives her father the choice she says look i will fulfill whatever duties you want me to do like if you want me to marry the emperor i will marry the emperor if you want that you know that court position you can have it just know that my life will end right after you get that court position because i cannot live like this anymore like i want to be a good daughter but i am not happy and this life that i have right now is not making me happy and right. her parents you know her father at least like realizes Oh my god, like of course like I want you to be happy. I'm going to say no to the emperor for you and all I want for you is to stay here with us. And and it's it's so I don't know, it's it's so pivotal. It's <laughs> Well, I I think that's why the the ending of the movie feels so emotional and so impactful. Yeah. It's because when when that scene happens when, you know, her father realizes like, you know, I I, I see now, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go tell the emperor no for you. And then after that, right, they have such a short time after that. Right. Before she's whisked away to the moon and right. nobody wants her to go. Right. And like even her, like she realized her mistake. Well, cause, because the whole encounter with the emperor, the way that they set that up was basically to help, uh, in, in my thinking, explain why the moon people would come for her because... In that moment, she wished for her to get taken away, right? She right. didn't care she about who or whatever. She wanted to be taken away because uh, it was coming to a head, right? Like, 
all these suitors were coming along. They only valued her for her beauty. They didn't know her. They never seen her. They just only heard rumors enough to want to marry her. But none of them knew her, right? And she had to keep rejecting them until the point that one of them died. And I think that really weighed in on her. And then when the emperor, the one person you can't say no to, comes along, and she she has to say no and disappoint her parents. Like, it was just, it was too much. And so mm-hmm. she called on the moon people to come and take her back. <laughs> I want to talk about, like, Kaguya as, as a character, kind of in relation yeah. to that, about agency. Because this is something that I struggle with a lot, especially when I look at, like, Japanese media, which is, like, the agency of women mm-hmm. or female characters in in that media right yeah because obviously to some extent in the original work she does have agency right she's able to say if you want to marry me you will you will carry out these impossible tasks and they can't so they don't yeah and she may or may not fall in love with the empire does not the empire (laughs) oh that's a (laughs) that would be a different movie oh shit i should write that movie Kaguya Hime and the Japanese Empire. Yikes! Uh, you know, I, I they build like an empire on the moon. There, there could be some parallels, maybe. <laughs> the question, the question is, you know, does does the narrative of the movie give her give her agency? You know, mm. to to some extent, for a lot of the movie, she's not getting to really make a ton of decisions. Yeah. The question, I guess, ends up being like, does she really ever? get a choice at at all right like there are little moments right where it's just like obviously we have the suitor thing again you know we mm-hmm. have her rebuking the emperor mm-hmm. which is yeah important mm-hmm. and we have her like her scene where she like runs away yeah at the end of the day though you know she ends up going like she she's taken away right you know she doesn't right. have a choice even though she had attempts to to go back and yeah she was in the middle of her speech about how great earth is and then they just right. pop the robe on her and then she f- instantly forgets all her memories on earth right yeah i that's honestly one of the saddest endings to a movie that i've i've ever seen because yeah. it it comes right when you like least expect it you know she's right just realized and and then the cloak comes on and, and the kind of look goes over her face and then yeah there's just that last scene where the parade is is going off into space and she yeah. looks back and she's sad she and yeah. my my god from a cinematography standpoint that yeah. last shot where she looks back is maybe like one of the most gorgeous scenes that I've ever seen. It's so like just you could tell just the look in her eyes like oh my god. <laughs> right, nothing has to be said. Yes. Because it's it's a visual medium. Yes. She can just look back and she can look sad. And the timing of it is perfect. And yeah. the, the way that the earth looks like this lonely blue ball in the middle of yeah. nowhere yeah. is perfect, right? Like yeah. like the ending the ending of this movie is is it, like there's nothing that I could possibly think would make it better. Yeah. Every piece of this movie feels like it it is important and impactful, but the last 10, 20 minutes of this movie feel like the most important thing that I've like ever seen when I'm watching it. Right. And it's like a two and a half hour long movie. (laughs) Two two hours twenty minutes. But like Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it (laughs) never feels like it's it's dragging. It feels like you're you're being taken along on 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 a 
fairy tale. And it does yeah. I it does feel sad, right? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of folk tales tend to end like this. Yeah. Though I the way that I read into the ending, like I had to think about it for a while. I was like, God, mm-hmm. I feel so sad. <laughs> but it was like, uh I think the the last uh like you said, the 10, 20 minutes is the most meaningful, but it's also like the part of the movie where she reveals the last verse of the song that she's been singing the entire movie, Mm -hmm. uh, which she reveals the last verse as being along the lines of, if you pine for me, I'll come straight away. If you pine for me, if you remember me, right? And so that kind of leads into why she got taken away by the moon people, which is she wanted... She pined for them and she wanted to be taken away by them. And so they came straight away. But I think because they play the song again at the end when she's looking back at Earth, it works in the reverse too. So I think it's kind of like, it's a sad ending, but it's also kind of hopeful because you hear the song again, you get reminded of the lyrics that she just said. So if she's pining for Earth, maybe she'll be able to come back again. You know, like... The answer is, of course, no. (laughs) It's... Listen, and then they have the shot where they show the full moon and they have her baby self in there. So if even if she isn't necessarily able to visit Earth again, she's at least going to forever watch over it, you know, from the moon. So that's my takeaway. <laughs> I, I agree with you. <laughs> but I, I agree with you in a different way. Necessar- and sure. we, we're getting at the same thing where sure. if you pine for her, she will return. Yeah. This, this I think, is a reference to her becoming this, like, symbolically the figure of the moon, right? Right, It's like, oh, my first girlfriend turned into the moon. That's rough, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, that, in a sense, like, her returning to the moon is her becoming the moon. Right. And and then there's this, and it is a kind of sadness, I think, that permeates a lot of Japanese folktales. Yeah. There's a lot of, of loss and separation and sadness, but at the same time, because it's like, you know, a, a Buddhist society, the underlying message of all that is at some point, it like, we will return, right? The cycle right. completes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the feeling that I get, too, because it is so prevalent in a lot of Japanese media, right? If they have, like, a, a tragic ending like this, it's not, you know, completely you know, separate. Like, there's not a complete cutoff from whatever important relationship that you've built the entire time. Right. This is this is the thing about Japanese media that I think is probably the thing that gets translated, like, the worst. Yes, I agree. Is, is <laughs> the fact that, like, a lot of, of Japanese stories have endings where yep. they're sad, yep. but they're open-ended enough yep. where there's something yep. there, right? It, the story doesn't matter beyond this point right insofar as as what is being shown to you right but the implication of an open ending is what's important right like right. the fact that you know we will never see the characters looking up at the moon and thinking of princess kaguya but that's yes. exactly what it's like meant to kind of invoke right. in us right you'll know when they show her baby face on the moon that's like Kaguya has become the moon. Right. We miss her. We'll never see mm-hmm. her again. But when mm-hmm. we look up at the moon, we will think of her. Exactly. And it's that. Exactly. That's the that's yes. the essence that we just keep losing in Hollywood remakes. <laughs> okay, it's I not know. it's not exactly and, that, but uh, it's part of it. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, they show it, like, even, like, in other Ghibli movies, right? Like, Spirited Away. You're so sad when Jihira and, Ka- and Haku part ways, but they leave off on, on words that basically implicate that they'll probably see each other again. But, yeah. <laughs> right, like, it's pro- probably not. Yeah, yeah, probably not, but it's open-ended. And, and so it feels sad, right? Because you feel like, oh, probably not. But, you know, you know that they, their bond still exists in some form. This is, this is something that I think Ghibli does uh, like a ton of. They love it. But yeah. the, one, the movie that I'm thinking about right now is specifically Kimi no Nawa, like your name. But also yeah. anything by Makoto Shinkai, where yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. they're all the same <laughs> ending, but on varying degrees yeah. of the sadness slider. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, Kimi no Nawa is like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. It's probably the happiest ending in a Makoto Shinkai movie. Whereas five centimeters per second, you're like, oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say, uh, this, this is an aside about Makoto Shinkai, since we're talking about just yeah. brilliant directors of animated movies. I love Makoto Shinkai, right. and my favorite movie of Makoto Shinkai's is Voices from a Distant Star. I used to have that on DVD. I love that movie. <laughs> Listen, I want to do an entire episode about that, but that comes later. <laughs> we should. We, we should. Let, that's, we should. that's later. Later. <laughs> we need to do an entire episode on Makoto Shinkai. What a dude. Yeah. Yeah. It feels <laughs> like all of the essence of the, of the folktale has been beautifully translated onto the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, going mm-hmm. back to this question of agency... Right. The the question is, does the ending trivialize any kind of agency the narrative gives Kaguya? And I I don't necessarily think so. Mm-hmm. I think th- that the little subversive things, especially in something like a folktale and in the rewriting of the folktale where she completely rebukes the emperor. Right. I think th- mm-hmm. that displays an amount of agency that isn't trivialized or subverted by the ending. Like I think it's still meaningful. Right. Especially because they're right. in like old Japan. Right. Like. You know. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal when you turn down the head, honcho. Yeah, that, that's big emperor boy. He gets to fuck whoever he yeah. wants. <laughs> I mean, that's what he said when he yeah. grabbed her. <laughs> Basically. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Let's talk about another one of the themes in, in the movie. Okay. Which is the themes of Earth's imperfections. While the original story, you know, touches on her sadness at leaving Earth, namely her parents, right? Mm-hmm. The, I think the movie does a great job of showing us, like, why and what that's about. Yeah. And especially yeah. showing us the emotional impact of it afterwards, right? Like, and it's all mm-hmm. done visually, too, mm-hmm. which I appreciate so much, right? It's not just like, oh, mother, father, I'm so sad to be leaving. Goodbye. Right? It's right. she looks back at the fading blue marble that is the earth in this blackness of space and, like has a single tear running down her eye and you can tell that she doesn't know why. Right. And that's like the saddest thing more than the separation. It's the forgetting that is the saddest part of it. Mm -hmm. This is a trope that I will die on a hill for, which is, which is the, (laughs) the trope of the pursuit of like, not the pursuit of, but the acceptance (laughs) of imperfection. Right. Where she's just like, yeah, Yeah. earth sucks. Right. It's not perfect. It's (laughs) not the moon. Yeah. But it has wonder and life and amazement and that's like meaningful yeah. and that matters and like 
Yeah. You can tell that this is obviously something that she learned from like her parents and from her upbringing. And obviously the moon people don't understand. That's Big Boss Buddha right there. Big Boss Buddha is like, y'all returning to enlightenment. <laughs> don't even think about earthly attachment. Yeah, with that golden hair. Come on. I, I think there's a lot of things in this movie where it's very softly subversive. And this is something that I will say about like Jellyfish Princess too. Mm. It doesn't make any hard statements. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of implications. But at the same time, there's kind of this mixing of the old and the new where mm-hmm. it is acknowledging the importance of of the oldness of like what came before of tradition and at the same time mm-hmm. you know saying that that's not all we have to be right like right. we don't have to necessarily only please our parents and we don't necessarily have to stick to the buddhist conception of the cycle of life but i mean that is that is <laughs> that is important to the rest of the movie uh, especially the song which we'll mm-hmm. talk about but yeah i mean do you, have, do you have any thoughts about that this is my favorite trope it's my favorite trope <laughs> I I do love the trope and I do love I mean it's it's basically like the whole theme of of just accepting something as it is like flaws and everything right like like that's why people like generally when they define love they'll they'll say like oh I love you for you know your goods and your bads like that mm-hmm. kind of thing and that's that's basically the type of love that she has for for all of earth like for her you know the village that she grew up in the her her parents and and all the animals and and life that she grew up around like that's the type of love that she had um and she was willing to give up whatever perfect life she would have had on the moon to continue her life that was uh implicated as being like a punishment for her or or something along those mm-hmm. lines right like some some people allude to why the reason why she was on earth was because uh she was punished for some kind of crime she found she was she was happy there, right? She found happiness there that she felt was even better than whatever perfect happiness she would have had on the moon. So I love that. I do think that there's a lot of value in this movie as kind of a historical artifact. Japan yeah. as a country has a very complicated relationship with its past. Mm-hmm. And there's value in looking at the past in order to look forward. You know, following yeah. World War II and the student riots and the sarin gas attacks in the subways in the 80s or 90s, um, Japan had this big, big boom of postmodernism because reality had been shattered for them. If you've ever read anything by Haruki Murakami, it deals very heavily in those kinds of themes. That's why all of his books are very Kafka-esque. They're very um, surreal and to, to to the point where it's almost absurd. Like to give you some context in, in the book that I'm reading right now for class, Kafka on the shore, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Walker, mm-hmm. who is the basically somebody who is adopting the persona of Johnny Walker, the whis- the whiskey brand mm-hmm. kills cats and eats their hearts so that he can gather their souls to make a flute bigger than the universe. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Colonel Sanders is a pimp who is also a fan of the Chunichi dragons. Or is it Chunichi? I don't know. Fried chicken pimp? Fried chicken pimp, fan of Japanese baseball. Uh, it, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It's purposefully okay. weird, though. Right? Like, it's not just, oh, look at me, Lulsa Random XD. It's like, this is mm-hmm. bizarre because reality is fucking bizarre. And okay. so J- Japan has this really kind of like storied history with like postmodernism because of this, right? And there's a lot of mm-hmm. material having to do with amnesia 
and memory loss, the recovering of memory and what that means, right? And I, I think in a lot of ways that's that's the kind of tradition that this this tale works in, where it is taking something traditional and and filling it out and making it new, right? And and using that as mm-hmm. as a as a way to look back into the past that they all share as Japanese culture, but at the same time to look forward into, you know, what is, what is quintessentially Japanese or what is quintessentially, what is quintessentially <laughs> Japanese or representative of Japanese conception of reality is, is what mm. I'll say about that. Okay. That's okay. enough of my English major ranting. What's enough of Kafka. En- enough of Kafka. I could talk about Kafka forever. Right, like <laughs> if if I could, or if I had to, I would easily be able to do an entire episode by myself about <laughs> Kafka, talking to yourself, talking to myself about <laughs> Kafka and Japan's relationship with postmodernism. But that's neither here nor there. That's not what our podcast is about. It's a podcast about modern visual culture, and books are old. They're visual. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they are. In that, insofar as you read them with your eyeballs, I think one day we'll talk about a book. <laughs> really? Probably. Uh, I mean, if you want to start reading Kafka on the Shore right now, I'm not going to start reading. Kafka it's on it's the only right 469 now. pages. No, no, no. <laughs> of which I am Listen. 311 of the way through. We started with a webtoon. I think we'll progress from there. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about manga next then. <laughs> well actually that's that's not strictly true next week we're talking about another movie look forward to it yeah look, look <laughs> forward to it. that's that's another one we'll talk about old and new yeah i'm gonna talk about red line there's no there's no <laughs> like i'm not gonna like be coy about it <laughs> if you want to watch the movie and and then we'll talk about it it'll be great <laughs> not you specifically right now i knew you i know you're gonna do it i met anyone else listening Oh, I wanted it to be a surprise when I came on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about the animation because we can't yes. talk about an animated movie without talking about the animation. And we did a yes. little bit already. Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, the animation for this movie was so freaking pretty. And it was it's basically exactly what you would expect out of a movie, you know, retelling a fairy tale. Uh, it has a lot of that good, sweet, sweet, Djibouti, traditional watercolor work. Like, if you've ever seen any of their concept art, any of their, you know, original artwork that they make, you know, before animation. Right, it's very ink painting, and this... It's, yeah. The way that it's stylized is also very, like, old school, new school, fusion Japanese. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's basically like an ink painting in motion, and... I don't know. I, I loved it so much. Just just watching it, <laughs> let alone the story, just watching it was such a joy. Uh, and I think because uh, because I don't, they, they just use the media so well to evoke every kind of emotion out of you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that in terms of like animation, right? Like this, yeah. this is a God tier movie. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah, for sure. From the style to the motion itself, you know, everything yeah. is so beautifully animated. Yeah. Plus, like, it's it's a timeless art style. It yeah, absolutely. draws elements from traditional Japanese painting, 
mm-hmm. but also from like kind of 50s to 80s anime slash manga right where the mm-hmm. the faces are very simple you know they're very kind of plain they're not like super desu except for except for emperor man um, but he's special. <laughs> he's super desu yeah he's well look look at that man he's just <laughs> look at that <laughs> no but it's it's a very timeless art style because because it invokes um and when i when i say timeless i mean it is because like it i think timeless is kind of a complicated word to use right because it's like right. what is really timeless right Right. But I, I think that it's not so easily dated because it takes so many influences from traditional, you know, like if some if the core of your work is based in, in kind of a traditional art form, mm-hmm. but it also takes influence from other modern techniques, it's going to be very difficult to date, I would say. Right. Mm-hmm. Because this movie you could have told me that it had come out any time, like any year past like 2000, and I would believe you, right? Right. And this is something that I feel about uh, Mononoke, if you've seen it. That also feels yes. like... I I watched Mononoke for the first time like two or, two or three years ago, and I yeah. didn't know it was from 2007, is how right. beautifully gorgeous it's that show gorgeous. is. gorgeous! Oh! <laughs> There is something special about the style that it has like chosen to employ. It works so mm-hmm. perfectly in tandem with the movie that it doesn't mm-hmm. age. Right. And I and I love that it's it's not only ageless, but it's also like yes, it's it's obviously very distinctly, you know, Japanese, but that type of style, like the way that the motion flows together is something that you can find in western animation too. Right. Because it's so, I don't know, the the core, like you can see the the rawness of it. And it reminded me, like, that entire sequence of uh, showing, like, Kaguya growing up, like, in, like from an infant to a toddler, right? Like, they, they talk about how quickly she grows up, you know, like, much more quickly than any, you know, normal human baby. Uh, but all of those motions that they, the animations that they put into each, like, little hobble, little step... And then how she kind of like grows in spurts. It reminded me of uh, this one short animation by Glenn Keane called The Duet, where you see these two, like this boy and this girl, they they grow up together, right? Like, and that's it. it the whole dynamic between uh, Kage and Demaru uh, was reminiscent of. Well, it reminded me of of that animation by Glenn Keane, who mm-hmm. uh, was a Disney animator. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I. I just loved it. <laughs> yeah, I liked it a lot too. Now, <laughs> That's I mean, all I can say. <laughs> like you're right though, to the extent that like it is impossible to talk about Japanese animation without talking about Western influence. Yeah. Because you know, obviously, like as as it is, Japanese animation as it is right now would not exist without Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney had its own sort of host of issues. <laughs> culminating in a labor strike in the 40s <laughs> but the stylistic influences it it while also while being very japanese it's also a very global piece it's very global facing yes exactly it's it's like a piece that japan can say like this this right. is japan right exactly like i would have no trouble like showing that to like 
Like if I were to run a class of kids, I, I would have no trouble like showing this movie to them, right? And and basically being like, hey, this is this is a fairy tale movie, <laughs> right? It, it feels like a folk tale, and uh, okay, and this is something that they do just perfectly well, right? Yeah, where because they um, there's a lot of scenes that feel like they're out of like storybooks, where mm-hmm. they don't necessarily fill in all of the color. Hmm. There's there's scenes where it's kind of um, some of the some of the scenery just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Those scenes really lend to that, right? Yes, like the, yes. the framing of that scene as as a picture book lends it that feeling of being kind of a, a folk tale, right? It feels right. very storybook. Right. Obviously, the we talked about how the the animation style is you know both encompassing the past and the present. And it also plays into the themes of the movie of you know, adaptation and translation of, of works. I Listen, I, I've taken like four or five classes at this point that talk just deeply about translation. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about it forever, but I won't because I, I, it'll just take too long, right? Like uh-huh. <laughs> nobody wants to listen to me talk about translation for like eight years. But yeah. I think that as a translation... Of of a of a folk tale, it is, mm-hmm. I think, perfectly executed. I think every yeah. uh, aspect of it was chosen so deliberately for mm-hmm. a purpose, mm-hmm. and the heart of the work and the sort of language that it speaks, from a metaphorical standpoint, not from a literal standpoint. They're speaking Japanese. <laughs> from a yes. metaphorical standpoint, the language is is translated to the screen, and you know. Takahara understands cinema and yeah. understands anime and why yeah. that is like valuable as a medium. And that that's really great because it means we get movies like this where it doesn't feel like we're just getting a, like a fairy tale read to us. It's right. we are seeing it. We are along right. for the ride. Mm-hmm. In a sense, we are also part of Kaguya's story when we're mm-hmm. watching it. right? And that's why it feels so compelling because... It endears us to these characters, mm-hmm. and by the time that she has to say goodbye, you're like, I, I don't want to, right? Like, I don't want you to go <laughs> either. Mm-hmm. I want you to stay with your family. Yeah, I, I think he has such a genuine understanding, like you said, that he understands why this story needed to be told in this medium, right? Right. Like, it wasn't just because it was convenient for him, right? Because... It wasn't just because he's, you know, part of an animation studio. It was it was basically like, I need to tell this story with this media that I have, and we're going to tell it this way. That's huge, right? Like, there is... All of the aspects of it work so well together because it's a movie, you know? Yeah. You have the animation, and mm-hmm. you have the writing of the characters. Right. But then you add the music. And let's talk about the music, because holy <laughs> God, the music, Joe Hisaishi, you absolute <laughs> madman! <laughs> I yeah, I think this was the first time that Joe Hisaishi <gasps> has worked on an Isao Takahata movie too. I think like so. Never, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I, I wanna say I read something where there was originally gonna be another composer for this movie, but things with that person didn't work out for some reason and so they, they went with Joe Hisaishi and he killed it. <laughs> in the he, in the best way possible. <laughs> he really did. It's I mean, I can't talk about music a lot because like I don't I'm not a musical person, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. When I talk about music, I like to talk about lyrics. Mm-hmm. Because that's I'm a I'm a 
words person. <laughs> I'm bad. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at talking about music, but I think as far as it goes, right? Like as far as I can take this, like it it evokes the aesthetic that that the movie is trying to portray, and it it plays into the uh, the visuals in a really great way, and like the songs with the lyrics in the in the movie uh-huh are so good like the nur- the nursery rhyme and and the song of the heavenly maiden which are part of the same song mm-hmm. where uh it's it's like this this children's like rhyme right like where they sing it but at the same time at the very end of the movie that's what makes kaguya like remember at least for a second that you know she lived here on earth mhm yeah Obviously, the song is, is if you look at the lyrics, it's about, like, the cycles of nature and the cycles of, like, time and, and stuff, right? It is about those kind of Buddhist themes of, of the, the cyclical nature and the transient nature of life where, like, you know, even if Kaguya is gone, call to the moon and, and she, will, she will appear. <laughs> I don't know, do you have anything to say about the song? I loved it. It Before was very... Yeah, I don't know. I I I love that it permeated the whole movie, you know. And they, and and every time she sang it, she added a little more to it until you got the whole story by the end. And that was it was basically like its own little story unfolding within the story. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the music was perfectly suited for that. <laughs> yeah, I I like that. I like that it remained a constant throughout the movie. And mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Whenever I hear this song, I tear up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I just get so sad. I'm just like, because mm. <laughs> like that's I'm I'm such a I'm such a sucker for the trope of like playing with memory, right? Like playing with memory mm-hmm. loss and with memory gain or with regaining memories, right? Like what what triggers the the kind of like return of memories and the fact that it was it was this song and that it was a bunch of these like kids that were just like singing it in this in this parade. And my favorite character is the attendant, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And she, she's, like, leading it, right? And she doesn't say a whole lot, but you can tell that she does care for Kaguya. And I, think I that's love important. the attendant. <laughs> but, like, her leading, her leading this little parade of kids and they're all singing the yes. song. Yes, yes. That is the heroic climax of the movie. <laughs> Even though immediately afterwards, it, like, you know, we get it taken away from us, that is, that is the moment when... You know, for a second, we feel hope mm-hmm. watching it, right? And yeah. Makes me cry. It makes me cry. <laughs> also, here's mm-hmm. a fun fact. Uh, mm-hmm. I know at least one person listening will get a kick out of this. Mm-hmm. This movie is essentially the reason that an entire campaign of Dungeons & Dragons that I ran exists. Because the entire campaign is predicated on these songs that are so sad, they will make you cry, but you won't even realize why you're crying. <laughs> Did you incorporate the songs into your campaign? <laughs> Not the songs specifically, but like the songs are in the campaign, yeah. Okay. That one scene where, you know, she's like she's still like a little girl and she's like singing the uh, the song of the heavenly maiden, right? Like the version yeah. that like kind of has these sadder uh tones to it. Mhm. And then she's just like I don't know why I'm crying and then she like starts laughing again, and, right? Like that part I, I I don't know why, but that part particularly hits me. I think it's because it Plays into a trope that I really like. <laughs> I don't know how many times I'm going to say it, but yeah, the movie is gorgeous. It's heartfelt. It's relatable. Mm-hmm. It's shockingly relatable. Yeah. 
And I would I would argue that it's one of the best Ghibli movies, if not one of the best movies ever animated. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite Ghibli movie. Sorry, Miyazaki. Ah, oh, how could you? Sorry, Hayao. Uh, <laughs> you don't get to call him by his first name. I'm, Disrespectful. I, 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 I gotta go to bat for this movie. I think it's I think it's the most gorgeous Ghibli movie. <laughs> it's a different kind of Ghibli movie, obviously, because like. You know, not all Ghibli movies are the same. Like, Takahata has yeah. a different style from Miyazaki, and Miyazaki has a different style from whoever directed the other ones that I don't really watch. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's definitely a different kind of, of movie. It's not what you'd expect from Ghibli, I would say. But sure. nonetheless, it is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Everyone needs to watch it at least once. Yeah, if you haven't watched this movie, you need to watch this movie or else we can't be friends. No, don't say that. <laughs> Listen, they can be friends after investing two hours and 20 minutes into watching a movie. I feel like that's fair. <laughs> but then I feel like you could easily put that criteria on everything else and then they'll be stuck forever in a movie void. No, it's just this one. It's just this it's one. It's just this one? Are you sure? I'm, I'm sure that this is the one thing that I will go to bat for for all time. <laughs> yes okay <laughs> also what i find really funny this is completely off topic like we're totally done talking about the movie now what's hilarious to me is that mm-hmm. in in the document that we're using to like outline this episode mm-hmm. you are an anonymous goose <gasps> which is so close to being a swan that i'm just dying <laughs> i was just like did she do that on purpose no. no, there's no way. There's no way. Because <laughs> for me, I'm logged in, right? But right. there's no picture because I didn't set a picture for my account. So like you have your like mystic messenger boy on yours. 707 is my boy <laughs> husband. <laughs> <laughs> but me, I don't, I obviously don't see me being an anonymous goose. So I guess that's fair. Yeah. 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 I, yeah that's it. That's, that's I think the that's end. It. I think we that's, talked about I think that's, this lovely talked- movie. Talking about this lovely movie that everybody know, needs to go see after talking about Grand Blue Fantasy for like half an hour. That's you. But I that mean, was, I, I did ask me. questions because I was curious, but that's you. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can we find you and what are you up to this week? <laughs> uh, I am going to Animazement this weekend, like I mentioned, and it's going to be a fun time. I have a lot of friends there because that's where I lived before I live here. So... Yeah, I think it'll be a, it'll be good. I'll be there all weekend in Artist Alley. Come come visit my table. I'll be next to my friend Doe Firefly Ray. She's gonna be selling lots of stuff. She's got two tables because she's oh, legit. Wow! Yeah. And I'll be right next to her with my one table, being like, "Go buy her stuff. Don't buy my stuff." <laughs> she got two whole tables. Two table. Two yeah. Tables. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. Well, you gonna be up to, buddy? I am going to be probably just drowning in schoolwork and Overwatch. Like the newest Overwatch <laughs> event came out. Nice. I'm super hype because wow. there's some dope-looking skins, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like Overwatch. Like they I forgot. It's, it's really almost summer. Special. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost summer. So yeah, my my schoolwork is is ramping up a little bit. I got projects coming up, and then after that, yeah. finals, and then I'll be moving out of the dormitory, and maybe I'll be able to record at any with any kind of regularity and frequency. Bruh. 
<laughs> but yeah, you can find me uh, at all the places uh, at Literal Soup. If I'm on a place, it's probably there. You can find our podcasto on Twitter at AbsoluteCast. Podcasto. Uh, and that's where we'll that's where we'll put updates and and stuff. You should. And this has been understated, but Renu did a beautiful, amazing podcasto art cover, and I used it for my profile picture because I love what? it so much. I've shared it what? for like eight hours now. What? <laughs> Soup, no! Don't say any of this! <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. It's uh... great. <laughs> and you should look at it. No, but like... No! Listen, it's, it's good. It's good. No, it's not. It is solidly mediocre, which is exactly where I like to live. Hey, that's my territory. You get out. You get your own absolute territory. Ah, but we close. <laughs> okay, we can share. <laughs> yeah, you should also go and find us on, on YouTube, which you can find the link through our Twitter profile, because I don't actually know what our YouTube channel is. That's, that's Renu's biz. But she makes all the beautiful videos, and they're all great, and they've got uh, beautiful Stop for singing fun, my praises. I need to leave fun. forever. <laughs> if you just search for Absolute Territory Podcast on YouTube, we'll pop up right underneath the Ken Ashcore song. <laughs> nice. Nice. And, and yeah, that's, that's where we live. <laughs> Listen, I, I like to live right below the Absolute Territory, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, you should go watch our videos because Renu puts a lot of work into them and they're beautiful and lovely no, and sparkly. No. Kira, kira, desu, desu. No, no, no. No, 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 no. There is a, a little pixel of us cooking, which I was proud of for the Shokugeki episode. I, ver I, I really enjoy it when you do like the special ones. <laughs> where I'm like, oh, this is a new one. And then I like skim through the episode and I'm like, I'm just listening to us talk, but it's actually like surprisingly entertaining. Is that okay to say? Is that okay to say that we're surprisingly entertaining? I I I have a guilty pleasure of like when I edit the videos and then I'm like, oh, I feel like we, you know, we talked a lot and we had a nice conversation. <laughs> See, I I I do I will sometimes go back through our episodes and only listen to the openings and endings. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, Soup did a good job when he edited this part together. <laughs> I, I think I think those are pretty fun. <laughs> I, I actually also like to, if I haven't listened to, if I haven't re-listened to an episode, I sometimes I'll just put it on in the background and I'll like forget about it. And then I'll be like, why am I hearing myself talking? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also, I don't know. It shockingly entertaining maybe <laughs> May like su surprisingly if you're expecting zero i think mildly entertaining otherwise that's, is is pretty that's true okay. because i do have zero expectations not to like talk down on us but oh, i also no, no. don't want to i don't want to okay. feel like we're singing our own praises either it's just oh, like <laughs> you know listen it's okay i have i don't have zero expectation i have less than zero expectation <laughs> yeah less than zero okay i'm just like <laughs> yeah this is bad it's like Oh, this is this is better than zero. I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't decide what to listen to in the dining hall today, so I put on our podcast and I was like, man, the audio quality sounds way way better. I, I like do now. like we're we're slowly improving. I think 
We're so well, over- one, the, the, one day the viewers slash listeners can tell us, but well, you know, <laughs> one day I will have enough time to set a custom like or, or yeah, m- like fine tune a custom dynamic sort of audio processing filter for both of us. Because yeah. as it stands, I'm just kind of like using the same cookie cutter that I made like eight weeks ago because <laughs> I'm lazy. Not that I'm lazy even. I just don't have time to. <laughs> Whatever. I'll fix it sometime. That's fine. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in two weeks. We'll, we'll talk about Redline. Um, it's about cars. Yeah. And it's really fast. It's not Whoa. a fast movie, but it is a fast movie. Look at you, girl. Eat your fucking heart out. I thought you were going to curse less. <laughs> I, well, I can't not do the outro of the show. But <laughs> uh, your resolution. <laughs> 